Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Key, today on our episode, what do you think we shouldn't talk about? We shouldn't talk about the great state of Nevada and what they don't want people to talk about, which is casino heist. Wait a second, those are real? It's not just Oceans, the movies? They are very real. Not always successful, though. Well, that's quite a shame because I'm sure there's a lot to be gained from those heists and thefts out there. If you can get away with it. If you can get away with it. Well, let's dive into it. What do we have to talk about today? All right, well, I'm going to start. Mine is like a inception type case, a robbery, robbery, inside of a robbery, circle back type deal. Kind of, sort of. Ready for a ride then? Oh yeah. Buckle up. Gather around children. It's time for a tale of crime. (laughs) Okay, so my story today is about the Stardust Resort and Casino. It was located on 63 acres of land along the Las Vegas Strip in Nevada. And yes, it's pronounced Nevada, not Nevada. Someone from Nevada told me that. (laughs) (laughs) okay so the stardust opened in 1958 and soon after it opened the nearby non-functioning royal nevada hotel and casino was converted to become part of the stardust so it became it's like amphitheater convention type area because the royal nevada was a 250 room hotel and casino and it was the eighth casino and hotel that opened on the Las Vegas Strip. Wow, like ever? Ever. Wow. It was opened in 1955 on April 15th but it didn't stay open for too long because it closed January 1st 1956 Mm. and then it was pulled into the Stardust in like 1959. So it was just empty for about three years. However, even with the addition of the Royal Nevada Hotel and Casino, they did have some more modern parts of the complex, which included a 32-story tower built in 1991. That was just a little back history about the Stardust. Because it doesn't exist anymore. I've been to Vegas twice. Mm-hmm. And I love it there. It's beautiful. There's so many lights. Well, it's beautiful at night. It's not beautiful in the daytime. There's so many lights. It's so much going on. So much to do. I don't really gamble. I'm one of those people that like take $20. And once that 20 actually once 15 is gone, I'm over it. Yeah, cutting your losses, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love like the off strip where all the old casinos are which the stardust probably would have been on the the old um strip because it's like where you can still put real quarters in the slots like you don't have to use like the The credits yeah Yeah. and like those are like the ones that are really fun like all the games are old it's really cool but back to the story okay so in 1974 the stardust was sold to alan glick's argent corporation now, if you've seen the movie Casino, have you seen Casino? It may have been a long time. Okay. Well, Casino is 
based on Alan Glick and what happened around the Stardust. So Glick was a San Diego attorney and real estate developer. And he first bought the Hacienda Hotel on the Strip and then the Fremont Hotel downtown and the Stardust. Now, as a, an attorney and a real estate developer, people were wondering, like, how is he buying up all these casinos in Las Vegas? Well, with about $100 million in loans from the Teamsters Central States Pension Fund. Now, Nevada is not a central state. No. So it's already a little uh, red flaggy around here. Now, under Argent's control, a former Chicago and Miami bookmaker named Frank Lefty Rosenthal became the de facto boss of the casino, even though he didn't have a gaming license. Now, not everybody likes like Rosenthal or his management style, but he was able to bring in big players, so the dealers saw increases in their tips. That alone made him popular on the casino floor, because... Of course, if, you know, you have a lot of whales and they're tipping the dealers $100 chips, you know, they regardless of whether they like you or not, they're going to be like, well, you know, he's bringing in these people. I guess I'll just work and shut up. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so another Rosenthal innovation was the sports book, which would become one of the casino's most celebrated elements until it closed. Reportedly, the payphones outside the book were the highest grossing in the nation as runners grabbed the nearest telephone to inform their out-of-state associates of the Stardust betting lines as soon as the book posted them. Wow. Now, while Rosenthal had the casino making money, he also supervised a slot and table game skimming operation, <laughs> which ultimately funneled millions into the mob. Now, anybody who's into Las Vegas history will tell you that the mob built Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. There was even a, oh, like a TV show a couple years ago called Las Vegas, which was basically about how it got started up, kind of, sort of, by the mob. It was actually pretty good. I think it only lasted one season, though. Maybe two. So anyway, in the early 1980s, federal investigators confirmed that since 1974, Stardust employees working on behalf of several, several Midwestern mob bosses, there's those central states, stole large amounts of cash from the Stardust and Fremont hotels. In 1983, a federal grand jury indicted 15 people in a conspiracy to skim at least $1.6 million from the casino's table games using phony paperwork. Now that was 1.6 million in 1983. Do we have a calculation on how much that is in today's money? That will be a whopping 4.1 million nowadays. Now a days. Wow. wow. Okay. So that's a lot. So those indicted on this uh, skimming scam included Joseph. Opa, head of the Chicago outfit, Carl Savella, mafia chief in Kansas City, and Milwaukee syndicate boss Frank Balistrieri. Balistrieri. Later. 
authorities charged mobsters in Cleveland with sharing stolen casino proceeds with other mob families and estimated they took in two million from the Stardust alone. Wow. So if 1.6 is like what 4.1 4. 4. so that'd be close to 5 million then. From one casino. Can you imagine the kind of money they were bringing in if you could skim $2 million? And no one notices. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the Cleveland mobster turned witness, stool pigeon, Angelo Leonardo, testified in federal court in 1985 that the Cleveland Mafia's point man and his close friend told him that mobsters in Milwaukee and Kansas City held sway over the Teamsters pension fund uh -huh, and tapped it to loan money to Glick to buy the Stardust. So no wonder he was just letting them skim money left and right. Right. <laughs> Leonardo stated that Chicago, Kansas City, Milwaukee, and Cleveland crime families each received from 40000 and up to 100000 per month from the Stardust skim. And the Cleveland Teamsters Union official, who was the pension trustee, got 1500 a month. Amid the allegations, Argent sold the Stardust to a group run by two veteran casino executives, Herb Tubman and Alan Sachs. However, evidence of continued skimming surfaced and the state forced Tobman and Sachs to relinquish control of the casino to Boyd, the Boyd Group. So they were just skim, skim, skimming their little lives away. Yeah, seriously. Until, until the state was like, look, <laughs> y'all are getting out of control. You can't do this no more. So we're going to cut to September 22nd, 1992. Bill Brennan came to work at the Stardust Casino like he did any other day. Hey, Bill. Hey. Are the tables hot today? <laughs> <laughs> Those dice rolling in your favor? So, unlike any other day, he left that morning and was carrying a bag with $500,000 in cash and chips inside. Typical, typical Monday. Yeah. <laughs> None of the surveillance ca cameras captured him leaving the casino with the bag, and the casino management had no idea that their longtime employee had just stolen half a million dollars from him. Brennan didn't use guns. He didn't threaten anybody. He just simply picked up the cash and left with it. It really shouldn't have been possible considering all the security procedures in place for a casino that rakes in millions of dollars a year. But the most incredible part of the story is that Brennan seemed to have gotten away with it. Now, as soon as the casino figured out that a robbery had taken place and who was responsible. They dispatched the police to Brennan's apartment, but when they arrived, there was no sign of Brennan or where he might have gone. 
He even took his cat. He was. <laughs> you nothing. The cat? He's serious about that, man. Weeks went by and all the leads went cold. Now, typically, you know, fugitives are caught when they make contact with family or friends, but Brennan didn't seem to have any. According to Richard Saber, a sports book manager at the casino who worked with Brennan, said he was basically a total complete loner. He lived alone with his cat. And even if his cat was his only friend, Brennan wasn't coming back to Las Vegas for it. He seemed to have taken the cat with him. <laughs> Come on, Fluffy, we gotta go. Yeah, yeah, it's got real, <laughs> but we gotta go now, Fluffy. Now, by all accounts, Brennan never seemed like he would be capable of committing this type of crime. He was an average nice guy. But that began to change after Brennan began spending time with one of the major gamblers who seemed a bit shady, but he was a frequent customer of the casino. So he was a regular. But after they met, Brennan began collecting books on how someone could change their identity, according to some co-workers, if that's true. That right there was a red flag. Yeah. And he became more withdrawn at work. Within weeks, a few weeks of Brendan's disappearance, Brennan's disappearance, the shady gambler friend disappeared as well. So he was a regular no more. Now, this led many to wonder if the two might have planned the robbery together. He could have put ideas in Brennan's head about carrying out the heist and setting up a new identity somewhere. Or, you know, a wealthy gambler, he could have had mob connections. Brennan would have been a useful inside man to carry out the robbery. And organized crime connections might explain how he would have been able to get documents to start a new life under a new name. Of course, that also means that it's possible Brennan never left Las Vegas alive. That's the theory that most of his co-workers and pretty much police and everything settled on. They think he got mixed up um, with organized crime and after he either refused to split the profits from the heist or they just decided they simply didn't need him anymore they killed him. But to this day, the case remains unsolved. No money or any of the chips ever surfaced. Wow. So he was on the FBI's most wanted top 10 list for a while. And his story was featured on America's Most Wanted. But no one has any idea what happened to him. Do you know what number he was on on the top 10 list? Mm, no, I don't. Okay. You know, there's always a possibility that he pulled it off and he's living somewhere under assumed name. I mean, back in 92, a half a million dollars would have been a nice chunk. Absolutely. If he could have got, I mean, you know, the travel regulations weren't like they are now. It's e It would be easy to just catch a bus to Mexico and live. Adios. Right, pretty much. But... There's also the possibility that his body may be lost in the desert outside the city, another victim of a robbery gone wrong. Right, right. So the Stardust officially closed at 12 p.m. on November 1st, 2006, after operating continuously 24-7 for 48 years. 
It was imploded on March 13th, 2007. Imploded? Yeah, so the building isn't even there anymore. The space was bought by a company in, I want to say, someplace that starts with Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. And they have plans to build a, what they call, Chinese themed casino. So, that's it. That's my story. Bill Brennan, the mob, people skimming, willing and dealing. Willing and dealing. Man, Las Vegas has too much going on. A lot. Oh, it's wonderful though. (laughs) Now, I've never been to Las Vegas personally, but I've been to uh, Mississippi and I've been in the casino there. That was a very nice casino experience. I, my first time ever in casino, you know, I was a 22-year-old man, and I, um, I went in with my plan of having and a lot of set of money to use, and I left using all that money, <laughs> nothing more. But you know, it was a very, very cool experience. I liked it a lot. Lots of flashing lights, and when you win something, you want to back up, but you want to keep wanna, going. You want to keep going. And I, don't, I don't totally fell for that. <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe Vegas one day. Rather hearing this story that I read up on, I'm not sure if I want to go. It's worth seeing at least once. At least once. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. As long as I don't meet any any shady characters that will get me into something, right? Right. All right. Well, for my final case, we are going only 0.7 miles away from the Stardust, where it used to be at least, to the Circus Circus Casino. Circus Circus. Now, Circus Circus Hotel and Casino first opened on October 18th um, in 1968. It has 3,700 plus rooms, and it has been featured in films and video games. It's um, it's said as the largest, um, I think, hat top, which is which is like the phrase they use for uh, for circuses, and so and so they call it like the world's like largest permanent hat top because like you know circus ones are cloth, but this one's of course a building. And um, and so at Circus Circus, what happened was that Heather Catherine Tallchief happened. Now Heather was born January seventh, nineteen seventy-two, so only four years after Circus Circus first opened its doors. And she was born in Buffalo, New York. She's the daughter of Fred and Ann Tallchief, um, and they come from a bloodline of wealthy Native Americans, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy because they're in New York and versus a reservation, you know, for them. To have Native American blood like that. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, like, from my understanding, like, you know, I just thought, like, you know, the reservations. They were all, like, pushed into reservations? No, no, no. I was thinking, like, you know, like, for, for it's crazy, it's ironic for her to be an actual Native American person and be involved in some kind of casino ordeal, you know? Is it, though? I don't know. Is it? I thought it was. I think casinos for the most part have to be owned by Native Americans. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying like it's crazy for her to have been you know, stealing from it. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, okay, anyway. So I'm back with you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Alright, so Heather, so growing up, Heather was intelligent and sensitive. Um, she, grew up, she grew into a beautiful young lady and had aspirations to work in the medical field. Um, in 1991, she got her nurse's license and after she got that license, she moved from New York all the way to San Francisco, California, and got a job as a nursing assistant at the Kimberly Quality Care Center, 
which is the hospice for AIDS patients. Mm. Heather became attached to the patients and with every loss, she grew sadder and sadder. And as life would have it in the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco, she got caught up in drugs. Oh no. And this led to her quitting her position at the KQCC. But shortly after turning 21, she met a man in a bar. This man was Roberto Salas, a gentleman 27 years older than older than her with a hidden pass. Mm, mysterious. <laughs> Salas was a mastermind, thief, and murderer. Having over 30 aliases, he most recently served 24 years in prison for the armed robbery, robbery and murder of a driver for an armored courier service. And tall chief fell deeply in love with him after hearing his poetry, which he was known for, and also seeing more of his spiritual side. So instead of Rico Suave, it was Roberto Suave. Roberto Suave, <laughs> for sure. And um, she was wooed by him, and she felt that fate brought them together. I believe that fate <laughs> has brought us here. Thank you, Macy Gray. <laughs> I'm sure that was playing in her head the entire time while this is sure. going on. Within a few weeks, Salas confessed that he had spent time in prison for the killing of the courier guard. Though Tall Chief being in love, she believed that was part of she, she believed that was part of his recovery and that he deeply regretted it and that he's a changed man now. I mean he could have regretted it. He could have regretted it. But as their relationship intensified, Salas suggested they move to Las Vegas. Shortly after finding a place to call home at the Mark I Apartments, Toss Chief started a job with armor transit company Loomis. Same company, Solace Robert, decades ago. Now it's said, it's mentioned around- Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did he got a job with them? No, Heather did. Did he put her up to it? It is said that he influenced her to get a job with that company specifically. Heather. Oh, honey. <laughs> this is going downhill already. What's killing me is that, like, you know, he murdered a courier for this company, and he's like, you should get a job for that company, and he doesn't think that anyone else can murder someone for that company. Like, do the same thing he did, like, rob them, you know? He didn't care, it seems, because he wanted her to be in a position... It seems like he was, he had all his pawns laid out. Mm -hmm. He was five moves ahead on the chessboard. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like she had a purpose and it wasn't to be his wife, I don't guess, I don't know. Maybe they got married, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you finish. All right, so as things progressed on, um, as things progressed on, it, seem, it seemed that Heather wanted to start from the bottom and work her way up and learn the industry inside and out. So she got the job, she became loved by her colleagues, and even later on she took a gun handling test in order to get a promotion, and she obtained record performance scores. So then she was, then she was promoted to a cash machine runner, which is different from a casino runner because the cash machine runs had unmarked bills. Mm. <laughs> Roberto was probably like licking his chops when he heard that. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and, 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 and by this time, it was reported that Heather had obtained false identities and that she gained the trust of her colleagues and employers 
for less than honest reasons. You know, she just got it to pretty much hide everything under the radar because she learned a lot about her coworkers and everything, but she didn't, but she kept her, her past secretive to them. And, um, well, maybe she isn't as innocent as I thought she was. Yeah, not a, yeah, same, same here. I thought, thought she was a good girl on a straight path. I thought she was a pawn, but maybe she's a mastermind. Maybe she is too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, one, one faithful day at work, um, uh, they had to do a machine run, and it was with her partners Steve Marshall and Scott Stewart. So they go to Circus Circus. They go to the Circus Circus Casino at around 3 p.m. And Steve and Mar Steve and Scott uh, grab bags and they leave the truck to go take it to one of, one of their drop-off locations. And she she you know her being a woman, um, she was the driver. So you know the men they carried the bags and the machines and everything they needed to do it. So then they come back to the truck and the truck's gone. And this in 1993, so there was no GPS tracking on this truck. Oh. And Loomis tried to contact and contact and contact and contact her to no avail. And the initial thing was, but initially though, Scott and Steve, they, they, trust, they trusted her. So they wanted to try to call her, they wanted to try to reach her themselves before reporting it to Loomis. So they tried to do that, and then they just started assuming the worst. Maybe she was robbed and having to take her to a location. I mean, you know, she was just uh, kidnapped and left in the desert, you know, because that's something that's happened, not commonly, but something that's kind of like normal there in a way. Right, right. And so, and so Heather was gone, and, and in her devotion to Solace, um, she got back to him, she was freaking out, and even after he like pointed a gun at her and threatened to shoot her dead, and Heather still wanted to do her best to please him. So they then got a lot of their, they got a lot of their fake identities and gear, and they disguised themselves as an elderly couple to get on a private jet to leave. I think that right there's a pretty, pretty ingenious part of their plan. Like that's really something that will happen like cartoons, you know, like, She's in a wheelchair, a little native blanket over her lap, glasses on, and he's acting gold and pushing her glasses on, and they just go by. Well, that was smart, because who, you know, nobody's going to suspect old people. No one's going to suspect old people, uh-uh. No, and it was the 90s. Again, like, anything before 2001 was super easy to do in the airport. Right, exactly. It's crazy, man. People like them messed it all up, everyone. So um, so after so after some time for research, the FBI tracked them down to a hotel in Denver. But once but by the time they got there, Heather and Roberto were gone. And two weeks after this incident, um, Solace Solace rented a space at a commercial building under a phony business name. And the owner of that garage was uh, the garage was reinforced steel, and it specialized in vehicle repairs for armored cars in Las Vegas. And so, so, so the owner was like, I don't know where they're at. They haven't paid me, so I'm just going to open up this garage. Right. He opened up the garage to find the missing Loomis truck, $3,000, a thick pair of glasses, packing materials, and information brochures to Miami, the Bahamas, Mexico, San Francisco, Cayman Islands, and Denver. $3,000? That's it? That, that's all they left behind. They took, they took the other... Um, Oh my gosh, that, that's how much money? No. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. 
So she took off in the van with $3 million in it. Ooh. Yeah. She took off in that van with $3 million. So they took two million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine no nine hundred ninety-seven thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars, pretty much. And that was what year? Ninety-two. Uh, this uh, ninety-three, ninety-three at this point. over 5.3 million over 5.3 million yes in today's dollars and she just left in a in a van with no tracking system on it unmarked bills mm. insane 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 so um yeah yeah so after this um uh the court of course the garage owner informed the authorities and the FBI got there and they asked and they asked them, you know, who this man was. And it was just said, it was quoted that Salas opened his business name under the guise of retrofitting vehicles to be used as armored car vehicles. In that manner, it didn't draw any attention to the other people in the area when the real armored vehicle was brought into the facility. So, Ooh, yeah. Smart. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so because any other owner of a, of a, of a garage like that, if they see you drive a Loomis truck, you can be like, wait a second, what are you doing? But because his business was retrofitting vehicles to be armored car vehicles, he was like, oh yeah, that's that's just normal, that's everyday. Right. Oh, see, he thought about this. Yeah, he he had a board and he was he was on it. He he was on it. And so after interviewing them, the FBI's trail the FBI's trail went cold, and then Heather appeared on FBI's list of ten most sought out fugitives, and she was number three. I mean, three million, three million dollars, though. You know, casino heist, like, just driving away. Just driving away. But you would think, like, when her co-workers first reported it, like, a, a Bill Loomis truck, like, nobody, well, I guess because there's no cell phones, like, oh. Right, yeah. It was such a weird time. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it was honestly, like, the perfect time to do stuff like this. Yeah. Because, you know, like, the cotton... The methods of contact aren't as available as they are today. No. There weren't cameras everywhere, you know, and like there weren't cell phones. <laughs> what a time to be alive <laughs> and commit crimes. All right. So to the conclusion of our story here, they end up fle they end up fleeing to Amsterdam. That wasn't even on their brochures. They didn't have a brochure for Amsterdam. They landed in Amsterdam, you know, because like you know they had they left their brochures there. And so those were the places that the FBI were going to track him down at. Oh, like a red herring, like yeah, y'all here, we're going there. Yeah, we're all the way over in Amsterdam, but you're going to Mexico and the Cayman Islands and the Bahamas. We're not even there. You act like rats. And um, in Amsterdam, Solace had full control of the money, so Heather was just still doing his bidding, and he had three million all to himself, doing whatever he wanted with it. In 1995, so two years after this, she became pregnant. And during her pregnancy, she started realizing that her relationship with Solace was very one-sided and that Solace was not the man that she fell in love with. Heather. 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 It took you how many years and a whole new human being being created <laughs> to realize this? <laughs> so, so, two months after their son was born, Heather fled. 
Two years later, she began working as a maid, like dead broke. You know, he has all the money. She's dead broke. She ended up remarrying a man who who helped raise the son, like you know, as if it was his own child. And the constant lying and looking over her shoulder started to get to her. She said that she was feeling like that she was living in a mental prison, and mm. it was worse than a real prison. So she decided to turn herself in to the American authorities. Wow. Mm -hmm. And but this. But this was 2006, though. So this, it was another, it was another nine years after remarrying, and everything. So she was, so so she was, she was, put on trial for her part in the heist, uh, maintained that she was brainwashed to controlled by Roberto, but these facts were backed up by a psychologist, and proving that you know like, that the age difference between them two, she was easily manipulated, manipulated, and that her. Her course, her her career course was like tracking her to be, you know, successful in her current job, and it wasn't like leading to anything dishonest. But it became that way considering Roberto's past. So, she was put in prison, and just guess for how long she was put in prison. She sold no. she sold three million dollars in nineteen ninety three. Now I could see the jur jury taking sympathy on her because a she didn't have any of the money. She was under the spell of a dashing older man. <laughs> and she turned herself in. So I hope, I hope her attorney, like, you know, made that, like, well, she's not that bad. <laughs> the guilt made her turn herself in. So yeah. I'm going to say five years. Right on, yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, 63 months, so that's five years and three months. Great job, and so so she was um, she was sentenced to sixty three months in federal prison in order to try to try to repay the three million dollars she stole. Just try, just try to do it, because you know Loomis and their insurers, you know, that's still their money at the end yeah. of the day. Um, she ended up being released on parole in twenty ten, so that was only four years, and she was reunited with her son, and they live happy they live happily ever after. But Roberto. 73 in 2010, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, 74 in 2010 was still never found. I mean, he had all the money. Now he's 84 because it's 2020. Well, he'll be 84 this year if his birthday hasn't already passed. See, she should have dropped the dime on him as soon as she left. Yeah, just like, just like putting a tip for it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you don't have to give yourself up, but as soon as you realize, okay, I'm going to leave, FBI hotline, I have a tip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She really should have because, you know, I'm sure like, you know, through like, you know, interrogation and everything or to help her sit in, she gave them location of where Solace would have been. But right, but that was how many years prior? Right, exactly. You know, but but like she left but she left him two months after the son was born, so he's like, Okay, I gotta pack up my stuff and leave because she's gonna rat me out. Right, and then he had all the money, so there's like very little limit to where he could have went. Yeah. Right, that was in the circus circus casino. <laughs> Heist of 1993. The only thing I can think of when you say Circus Circus is Chris Rock in Madagascar. Yeah, Afro Circus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> me, me too. I should have uh, should used that as, the, as my um, my document image for this one. Well, those are some some good stories. Yeah, it's it's crazy that that they are so close together. But then again, I don't know how close um, uh, casinos are in Las Vegas. I've only seen a movie like you know where 
if it'll pan as around, it'll pan like on a casino here and a casino there. But that could just be like editing, like, you know, to make them look really close. But I don't know how close they actually really are. On the strip, they're pretty close. Okay, okay. Because the, we walked to like quite a few, like we parked in one and then we just like walk next one, spend some money, go out, go to the next one, spend some Casino money, go hopping. out. Yeah, basically. Oh, man. Because both times I was only there for like a day. Oh, okay, yeah, she had. It was like, you know, road trips to, while I was out in, uh, in Utah and in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Well, listeners, what do you all think about cas- uh, Casino Heist? I think if it was 1990 to 1995, and I was at this age I am now, I would go rob a casino because it was quite easy. Like now they have. Oh yeah. It's forget about it. Yeah. And and even yeah, especially especially if they're even more connected with with mafias now. Right. Yeah, you think about robbing any sort of mafia. That's now nah, you're done. They got people everywhere. You can't even count cards like you used to. Yeah, yeah. These movies, movies will teach you that. That's right. Uh-uh. It's hard out here. It's hard out here <laughs> for potential thieves. Right. <laughs> and these alts. <laughs> yeah. I like. Uh, I like that we decided this topic. I actually wasn't um, was prepared for the story I, I came across because, like I said in the beginning, even though I was joking, I really didn't think casino heists were that you know prominent just because of how beefed up security is now, but these cases were in the 20th century, so. Yeah, like, most of the old, or most of the cases are, you know, at least 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, I think I saw maybe one that was recent, but they got caught super quick. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, if you Google, like, Casino Heist 2010 or 2020, they'll be like, man tries to steal from casino, you know, tackled immediately. Yeah. (laughs) What else was you going to bring to the table today, Key? Well, since this is our first recording, since it happened, rest in peace, Kobe, and yeah. all the other passengers passengers, and the pilot of that helicopter crash. That was a terrible tragedy, and I don't even understand how any of the families are just making it through the days at this point. That That's just awful. Yeah, I honestly thought it was like faked. I thought it was like, you know, someone trying to get like exposure or something saying, you know, right. just claim celebrity death. There's cause... always celebrity deaths on the right. internet and then the person would be like, no, it's wrong. Yeah. Like, I'm still here. Mm. But yeah, that was, that was extremely tragic. So many like young, like what, three yeah. young girls. Right, yeah. And then their parents, like, so except for the pilot, each family lost multiple members at mm. once. It was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But to bring this back up, everyone go watch Madagascar. Wait, was it three? It may have been two. I think it may have just been two. Madagascar two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Circus Afro, Circus Afro, Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon Afro. Yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was so hilarious. Yeah, great job for nailing that, Chris Rock. <laughs> they had the perfect guy for that. He re- they really did. <laughs> well, I guess this is going to conclude episode six. six. Wow. We are chugging along like a speed train, which I know does not chug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bullet train just takes off. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah no. I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing a steam train, but saying speed train. But either way, either we're way. chugging along. Yeah, yes we Shout are. Shout out to Norway and Italy. We are international. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you, your supporters across yeah. the world. We love it. Canada. We'll Canada. We have most listeners in the U.S., and we appreciate all of you. Yes, we do. So, please take time to rate us on iTunes or Podchaser. Mm-hmm. Recommend us to your friends if you like us. If you hate us, recommend us to your enemies. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't stop sharing it. Right. <laughs> Spam people, pick up their phones, and subscribe to it on their behalf. Every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. <laughs> if you have a topic that you want us to cover, we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com. You can hit us up there or wstat underscore pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Wstat pod. We had to save to conserve some character space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We didn't want to, we didn't want to like drown everyone in like how many letters it's gonna be. So right. W stats pretty good. Alright, well I'm Key. And I'm V. And this has been we shouldn't talk about this. Thanks for joining us. Bye.